This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi everyone, we're recording a little unplanned episode today. Obviously, some some really just heartbreaking news. Um, not news that came sort of, I suppose, as a as a surprise in in one sense, but we we know he's been sick, and it actually sort of just around Christmas there was worries that that we were going to reach this point when his mum flew um from from Italy to England and then came back, but. Gianluca Vialli passed away today on Friday and uh, it felt appropriate to get together and just talk about our memories of, of him. It's obviously just crushingly sad. First and foremost, he's a young man, 58 years old, who seemed to have so much life left in him, really sort of all the way to the end in, in terms of his his character, his outlook, the way he was. Obviously, an, an exceptional footballer, but Mina, I, I, I think sort of when these things happen, for me at least, the first thing I think about is not the footballer; it's it's the person. And and I know you actually sort of knew Gianluca from from a really young age to some degree because you lived nearby to him. Yeah, uh, it's bizarre because I never. Obviously, he's a footballer, and that's who he is. But when I was younger, right. I grew up in a household with sisters and not, not much football, like obsessions, just World Cup obsessions. But I used to sit down every Saturday morning and watch the show on Channel 4 called Gazetta. I think that was what it was called. It was for Football Italia. Gazetta Football Italia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, following Gascoigne's journey, obviously, to Serie A. And, and during that time, I was a, a Lazio fan. I actually hated everything to do with Juventus. How interesting how things change, right? <laughs> anyway. The one redeeming factor that I did find about Juventus was that they had a player called Gianni Gavialli. And when he moved to England, I was lucky enough to be a neighbor. I lived in the same area as him. And back then, London just felt more like a village than it did now. Like now it's just this big city and I'm so many restaurants and so many places to go. And it's so like... <laughs> I don't know, just big and, and intimidating. But when we were younger, there was like five restaurants. I actually don't even remember more than five. Obviously, when you're a kid, you probably go to the same ones that your family take you to. I think some of that's just being a kid. 
<laughs> yeah, first. <laughs> yeah, that probably is. But <laughs> but I just don't remember there being like Peruvian restaurants and German. I, it was just kind of like, you know, your Italian restaurants and, you know, I, I don't know. And you're a kid, right? So you go to the same ones. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, our, one of our favorites was called San Lorenzo. And uh, it's it was in Knightsbridge. And basically... Um, he would always be there. He loved that restaurant. And, um, at the time I, I had my birthdays there. My best friend had all her birthdays there. We were just constantly there. And, and, and my best friend had some ties with either they were her godparents. I don't remember at the time with San Lorenzo and Fiali was always there. And I kind of just hover around his table until he acknowledged me because obviously I was just like a kid, but you have to know that even when I was 12 at the time or 40, I don't remember how old I was actually at the time. I sort of still looked like I was seven. I, I didn't hit puberty till about 25. So I, I kind of looked like a kid. <laughs> I kind of looked like it for a really long time. Um, and, um, and I would just sort of hover around his table until he would say hello eventually. And I kind of just wanted to like, Again, this is so weird. It was a different time back then. I just want to sit on his lap and tell him stories, you know, about all the things I'd watched mm-hmm. on Gazetta and how much like I was obsessed with him and how I think he's going to be so brilliant at Chelsea. And, and you know, like if he could say hello to Roberto Di Matteo and then Pierluigi Castaraghi and all these just other players that I really, really loved as well. And he used to just always like talk to me. He was always so nice to me. He was always so really, really lovely. And I, this would probably be about a weekly occurrence, to be honest with you. And then like many years later, I was walking down Elizabeth Street, which was also in the same area because he always lived in Chelsea. And I, I was walking head down like a proper London. And London was now the city that it is, you know, like scary and big and all of that. And, you know, you're just trying to get to everywhere you want to be. And I literally just stopped dead in my tracks because I saw him and I looked up and I was like, Fiali. And then he was like, and then he just started laughing and I was like I don't know if you remember me but I was like telling him this whole thing and I I finally got my chance to like sit with him and tell him all my stories about like how I was obsessed with him growing up and how I was a Lazio fan and then I became a Juve fan with Del Piero's back heel and everything and um and he just listened and took photos with me and I just I loved him you know, um, so I don't, I don't have a big story as a, as a football journalist that sat down with him. And no, I, I kind of always knew him as just somebody who lived in the area that I was like madly obsessed with. And, and it was weird because I don't have anything with, I, I don't ever really remember like Jan Franco Zola, who was at the same period and obviously one of the very best in the Premier League and all the players from Italy who came over to Chelsea. But Viali was the one that I always saw. Viali was the one that I always knew. Viali was the one that I was obsessed with. Yeah, I, I mean, he's very sort of in 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 that sort of cultural moment of, of Italian footballers coming to Chelsea. He was very influential and, and sort of centralised. Funny, you, you mentioned that restaurant, San Lorenzo. I, I have also been there, and I think there's even a, a dish named after him there. I think there's there's the, and not just now. All of a sudden, I think for years he had his own sort of spaghetti dish on the menu there. I, I can't remember if that was actually on the menu or if it was un- informal. Seen a kid that just weren't that many restaurants. Well, there weren't many restaurants that I think Italians moving to London considered worthy of being considered an Italian restaurant back then. You know, we had a lot of Pizza Express and, and places yeah, like that. That's but, true. Yeah. You know, uh, a, a proper Italian moving from, from, uh, from Italy who wanted to get food that reminded them of back home for my dad. That was, that was one of the places in London as well. I think sort of what you, you're sort of saying in that story really just speaks to, to, to so much of, of, 
the character that he was, the, 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 the sort of the overriding sense that I think I've always had from Viali. And, and, you know, I, I should say, actually, I, I never had a big sit down interview with him in my, in my career. I wish I had to someone I would love to have that with. I, I got to interact with him in a few different situations in, in briefer ways, but I never got to have that big, long interview that would have been fascinating. But some others have done very, very well. I can point people in the direction if they want to see some, some great sort of discussions with him. Obviously, Gabriele Marcotti, our former colleague from ESPN, knew him very well and, and wrote two books with him, both of which are absolutely worth your, your time to go and have a read. But I think he was one of those people who always had came across as having that perspective beyond football of not just being sort of, I don't know how to put it, not just sort of being um, someone who was interesting and compelling because they were a footballer. They were, he was a compelling person because he was a compelling person because he had that warmth to him because he would sit down with, I suppose, um, Mina, a seven-year-old girl he didn't know and, and listen to them and, and talk to them and, and, and share that warmth. And, and, you know, I mean, this is um, a, a quote that, that is in my um, piece that I've written for The Guardian today about him and and it, it, again not not mine this is if you want to know more about him Alessandro Catalan did this uh, interview with him for Netflix uh, last year in Italy well worth anyone checking out but he, he talked about this sort of his relationship with with cancer and how it's changed his view on the world and, and he said this said this phrase that I just found really sort of powerful about recognizing he has less time to 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 be an example to his daughters. And he said, you know, he thinks that setting an example, your children follow your example more than they follow what you t- say to them. And and he said, I, I try to teach them that happiness depends on the perspective with which you look on life, that you shouldn't put on airs, that you should listen more and speak less, laugh often, help others. That's the secret of happiness. And I just think he embodied it, actually. I think that's not just words. I think that was the example that he said. He, he did have that great big grin, that laughter, that, that immediate warmth in, in his character that I think endeared him to people right away and, and, and spoke to something bigger than just, than just football. And God, I, I don't know where to start with the football side of things, Mina. I think we, we should talk about it because not everyone listening to this will know the sort of full story of, of his, his football journey. I, I was thinking, funnily enough, my first memory of him, you talked about meeting him as a kid. My first memory of him was also as a kid, although I um, didn't get it in person. We had a VHS tape, my brother and I, of, um, I think it was Arsenal's 1991-92 season, which wasn't even a remarkable season. They just put out end of season videos. And in the beginning of it, there's a pre-season tournament between in which Arsenal played Sampdoria. It was the Makita Cup. And Viali scores this astonishing scissors kick. And it's a pre-season game, right? Like it's not a big, important game. It's not a game that matters to anyone. But it's, it was such a like piece of skill that like being little and watching football, I was still quite new to watching football, but watching football in England, I felt like I'd never seen a thing like this. I'd never seen someone do what he did where he jumped up in the air and, and did this extraordinary scissor kick. And so in my head, it was like, this is Italian football. This is different. This is like, you know, I knew Italy were good because of course I'd watched the World Cup in 1990, but that's not the football that you see in England. And he was that, right? Like he scored several overhead kicks in his career. He scored all sorts of audacious goals, but he also just scored, you know, winners in, in, in European cup finals. And, and he was such a sort of fundamental um, figure for, for Sampdoria, along with Roberto Mancini, which of course their relationship became 
something important even for, for, for Italy in the end. They won the Scudetto together at Sampdoria, which is extraordinary. It's, it's not something that, that happens in Italy that a club like Sampdoria gets to win the league. They also won the Cup Winners' Cup, with, as I said, Viali scoring the two goals in the final. He was a brilliant footballer for Sampdoria. He then went to Juventus and, and continued that. And he then went to Chelsea and, and had that chapter as, as player manager, which again, sort of wildly successful in its short way. And I think it was going on trophy count, the most successful of the pre-Roman Abramovich era, where they won the League Cup, the Cup Winners' Cup, the UEFA Super Cup and the FA Cup in, in like two years. So. He was a, a brilliant talent on the pitch. I don't know if you have sort of particular memories of his Juventus time, Mina, that, that, that called to you particularly. It's interesting because I always, I always sort of think of Juventus at that time as being Ravanelli and Viali. Those are the two like images that I remember. Obviously, Del Piero came a little bit after that. And I always couldn't understand why these men that look, that were so young looked like they were so old. That was always the image I had of me. Him and Ravenelli always looked like old men before they were honestly old. But mm-hmm. when I bumped into him in the street and I told, I was telling him all these stories, I said, you know, one of the, the factors why Juventus really became something I really loved was a large portion to do with um, Gaetano Shire and you. He sort of just looked at me and he's like, how old are you? Because I'm sitting there talking about <laughs> Gaetano Shire. And I was like, no, I, I never watched him. I, I didn't know, but it was just kind of like, stories that you read about, you know, like about what he stood for, Stila Juve, you know, like just that kind of like a certain elegance and humanity in a player that he really stood out for. And I, and I kind of felt like Viali was just that man as well. He was the last captain to lift the Champions League trophy. You know, he had just this astonishing career. I mean, we've never, never, as long as I've been a Juventus fan, seen Juve win the Champions League. I've been to so many finals that I've started to think it's, I'm a curse. I, I don't know how to explain. Like, maybe it's my fault that we're not winning it. Maybe I shouldn't show up, but you know. <laughs> not sure that's how it works. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Talk about making it all about yourself. But um, it's, uh, I, I did start to, to think like, this is just a really unlucky team. Like, I just don't understand why it's just like countless, countless finals, countless losses. Um and he was, of course, the last captain to, to hoist that trophy above his shoulders. It's interesting when you saw him. I, I, I remember an overhead back kick when he was at Sampdoria, but I'm, I don't remember the team that he played that against. But it was a, it was like a huge tournament. I don't remember whether it was the Champions League. Um, it's kind of yeah, like a little bit. One. Yeah, several. But this one in particular stands in my head. And I just, I did a show with Roberto Di Matteo about three weeks ago. It was for Premier League TV where we discussed the best Italians to have ever graced the Premier League. And they had so many names on there. Benito Carbone and, and Carlo Cuticini and obviously Roberto Di Matteo, Gianfranco Zola. And they didn't have Gianluca Vialli. And I was like, how are you not going to mention Gianluca Vialli? And they were like, well, we didn't really see the best of him in the Premier League. And I was like... It's interesting you say that because I'd never heard of a player manager when I was a kid. I didn't really, I guess my family watched football as a source of entertainment and not people that knew a lot about the sport could tell me things, you know, so I was self-taught if you want. And the first example I ever knew of a player manager, maybe because he is Italian, was Gianluca Vialli. Mm. Obviously there were lots of them back then. I didn't understand that at the time, but he was my first memory of that. And, and I was, and I remember thinking, how can you talk about like, 
a man who lifted the trophy. I mean, it doesn't really matter what he did. He was Chelsea. Like he was the face of Chelsea, you know, for a long time. That's how I, I felt about him because of, of who he was, because, and even he says, he said I was in his, one of his last interviews, he said, I was very lucky because I played with Roberto Mancini, Roberto Baggio, Alessandro Del Piero and Gianfranco Zola, the four best number tens. Uh, at the time he does mention Totti, but he said he, he was too young to have played with him at the time. And those were what, five of the best tens that we saw during at least, you know, what my childhood, the best number tens, and he got to play with four of them. And, and I always think of that relationship between Di Matteo and, and Zola and Viali, you know, just bringing it all together and making it the best. It's weird that a lot of my memories of him have a lot to do with who he was as a person more than he was as a player. You know, it's not the trophies yeah. that I think of or the fact that he was a complete forward. He could, he could score goals. He could play on the wing. He could, he was just this complete player. Yeah, but there's, there's probably different parts that aren't there. Part of that is like how we sort of have our impression as football as kids, or we don't know everything about it. And so everything feels different. And part of it, I, th- I think, is is sort of genuinely like just the legacy of, of, of Gianluca Vialli is the reason it feels like to me, the outpouring of, of grief today is, is, is even more sort of powerful than, than it, than it has been for sort of other players who you could talk about being comparable in talent to him. Because I think that it was part of it is because he did spread that that warmth and that sort of humanity with him because look he was an extraordinary footballer like we you know, I, I don't want to miss that for people and and for those who who weren't aware you know he scored a lot of goals he scored 19 goals in the 1990-91 season for for Sampdoria he scored 17 in in 30 games for Juventus in 94-95 this is Serie A at its peak by the way this is Serie A in the 90s when it was the hardest place to win in the world, the hardest place to win, to score goals in the world. You know, this, this was really like special to score. Yeah. To, to, to do those things. And, and yet I'm the same as you, Mina. I, I don't think that it doesn't feel like that's what I'm grieving. I, you know, what I'm grieving is, 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 is a person who, who, who just had this sort of way of being, you know, when I was writing the, the, the sort of obituary piece for the Guardian, I came across this, this phrase from, when he was still at Sampdoria and at 22 years old and Milan were trying to sign him. And he, he, he's, again, this is in my Guardian tribute. So sorry if I'm repeating it to people who've, who've heard, who've read it already. But, you know, he said, you know, at 22 years old, he's saying at a big club, you are above all a number in service to the result. Right now, I'm more interested in being a person. And that's the thing like that. That's the meat of it for yeah. me, Viali. Like he was always so human in, in some way. And, and I do think that that part of that owes something to the relationship he had with Mancini. I think the two of them clearly found kindred spirits in each other. They were Jimmy they got all the, the goal twins in at Samp. And the fact that they came together again at what turned out to be very close to the end of Gianluca's life, to go and win the Euros together, to to right some wrongs for both of them in some way, because they lost a European Cup final together at Wembley at Sam at Sampdoria. So they got to win a final at Wembley together. They got to to have the national team success that perhaps they missed out on as players. Viali started the 1990 World Cup and lost his place to Baggio along the way and and did play again in the semi-final, but perhaps didn't get to have the, the World Cup he wanted to right at the point in his career when, when you thought he would. But I do feel like their sort of story together shaped both of them so much as as people. And, you know, as an, as an Italian this is the bit probably where I start getting choked up where I think about it a lot. It's, it's just, 
that that Euros win, it really felt like it really felt like something being shared by those two as people and their players as people who got to share. And I mean, Viali was there as a head of delegation, which is this sort of slightly ambiguous role where you're an ambassador and you're doing a bit of sort of uh, shaking hands and meeting people. But part of it is just sort of being helpful and, and being a, a father figure to the team. But I, I really felt like, and, and this calls back a bit to one of the things we talked about during the World Cup podcast, I mean, when we talked about the Morocco team and the mothers there, I, I think that there was something so universal about that story with, with Mancini and, and Viali, that, that thing of, you know what, when you're, you're doing something that you love with your best friend and it's just fun, that was, that was what I felt during that year is that was what, what sort of touched me the most, I think. And, and, uh, and yeah, I suppose as awful as it is that this sort of wonderful man has lost his life at 58 years old, at least he did sort of, he never liked to talk about it as a battle. He always said he was walking with a travel companion, an unwanted travel companion in cancer, but at least they were able to walk that walk long enough that, um, that he got to have that be one of his um, last piece of his legacy as well. I'm sorry, Mina, I'm starting to cry. And I think I'm making you cry as well. And I'm sorry. It's just going to be that show the show. <laughs> sorry, everyone listening. It's hard to talk about things sometimes. <laughs> it's, it sounds so, um, I don't want to just focus on the fact that he was this, you know, during the Euro 2020, it was like, all you love in sport is that you identify with things. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like why we loved Morocco and the mums. It's just so human, right? You, you, you love that. And in Euro 2020, I couldn't bear to watch the penalties and neither could he. So you felt like he was like, with his turning his back because he just couldn't. <sighs> <sighs> Sorry, I yeah, um don't know how this will come across as a recording. It's quite difficult for both of us at the moment. Um we're just sort of um we're sad and and that's normal. Yeah, when when they lost uh, the the Champions League, um it wasn't called that. Uh you pink up. Yeah, thank you. Um and he said that afterwards that uh, people said, oh, it's not really manly to cry. And he's like, well, we sort of waited for everyone to go. And then me and Roberto Mancini just really like let it all go and just started crying for hours, you know. And he never, it was a time when football was very much like, even back then, even the 80s and 90s and not that long ago, football was very like almost toxic masculinity, you know. And in between that, you had him always talk about his feelings. He was always very open about what mattered and what was emotional. And and he used to say, you know, when I was younger and I would wear the earring and dye my hair, I just wanted to live. I was young. I was winning. I, I wanted to live outside of the box. And then it was different when I would have kids and I got married and then I'd have to be this responsible man. And and he really was like, everything was about how he was going to be better, how he was going to write letters that would last with his two daughters. And everything he spoke of sounded like poetry, you know, like one thing he said with Juventus is you have to train as if you've never won a game and you have to play as if you've never lost one. And everything he said just came across as a poem. Yeah, it's just, 
I, I just feel like every day I'm on Twitter writing about someone losing, oh, sorry, like dying. And it's, you know, I mean, I, I never knew Pele and I understand that there's just been so many legends, but even if it's Grant Wall, even if it's, it just kind of just feels like it's been a lot, you know? It does. It's not been a really great time for the football community. No, I, I, I really feel that as well. And obviously we lost Anisa Mihailovic as well. Exactly. As someone who, I suppose, to lots of people has a more complicated legacy and, and that's a, a different conversation for a different day, but who, again, certainly touched lots of people's lives and, and left a, a, a mark on them. It is sad and it's awful. And, and unfortunately, this is part of life, isn't it? Cancer is a thing that I think hits lots of us in our lives. Maybe that's also one of the things that makes it hard and, and difficult to talk about when these things happen is because I have people in, in my in my life who've been lost to cancer and I know lots of other people well in their lives as well. And so you're you're not just thinking about one That's person all the time. You think about all the people who you've known. I'm not entirely sure how to wrap this one up, Mina. Um it's it's um I sort of want to to bring everyone to a sort of happy memory that they can think about when they 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 hold Viali, I think I've already sort of probably said the one that, that, that I'm going to hold from forever will be the Euros. It, it will, forever it's going to be his and Mancini's Euros in, in my mind, even though, you know, he wasn't the manager. He wasn't the one there. He was, he was sort of, he was just as much a part of it. And I think that sort of stupid joke they got into, which they kept doing where because he um, nearly missed the bus for the first game after that, every single game they'd pretend to do the bus out. Yeah. And, and it was sort of ridiculous because he's there and like, off we go on this bus and we all know we're not actually going to go. But I think that's probably going to end up being one of my most enduring images of him. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I think it's that and, and maybe the story, which I almost still can't believe it's true. Um, but that when he got the player manager's job at Chelsea before his first game in charge against Arsenal and Chelsea won, by the way, he gave all of the players a glass of champagne in the changing room before kickoff, before kickoff, he was like, I've got That's this job, how you do it. champagne for everyone. <laughs> and I think, you know, characters that, that maybe we'll never see in football again like that, things that you wouldn't get away with in, in 2022 as a manager, but he, he had the, I don't know, he had the character to pull it off, I guess. Yeah, um, I think that... That's a great way to end it. Our thoughts and prayers are obviously with his wife and his two daughters at the moment, his family, our condolences to the whole Gianna Caviani family. That's probably where we should leave it. Uh, it's, I'm sorry that it got emotional. It's very difficult sometimes to talk about certain players, certain memories that we hold of them. And um, thank you so much to those who have subscribed to this. And this is obviously a free-to-air episode. And we will be back on Monday or Tuesday to review everything. Is it Tuesday? It's Tuesday. To review everything that happened uh, at Serie A over the weekend. Thank you for listening. Obviously, for me, it's very important to be the last captain of Juventus to have lifted the Champions League because uh, uh, all the fans still remember that. I still remember that. And they, they see me as the last captain. Uh, of a very um, successful um, um, side in, in Europe, Italian side in Europe. So, <laughs> on the one hand, I want Juventus to win because I've got so many friends there. But on the other hand, it would be a bit annoying to see that <laughs> someone is taking my place. Having said that, to have my picture lifting the, uh, the cap next to Gaetano Shirea, a legendary Juventus defender, probably one of the best defend Italian defenders of all time, 
and uh, Gianluigi Buffon. It would be like, you know, having your painting hanging between a Picasso and a Van Gogh. So it wouldn't be, it would make my picture look better. And better, you know, on my side, I've got Buffon, because if it's not Buffon this year, it might be Chiellini in two, three years' time, and I'd rather Buffon to be next to me. <laughs> Head to seriachronicles.com forward slash Patreon now and subscribe to the Chronicles Tifosi Patreon membership with a free seven-day trial. Get early access to every full-length episode and voice note before the rest of the world. Plus, all episodes are 100% ad-free. And you get bonus Patreon-only exclusive episodes, video episodes, and behind-the-scenes extras. Also, be sure to join the new chat community in the Patreon app and chat with fellow subscribers. Podcast Network.